0: Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues, including, but not limited to mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started.
1: I'm Amy Rojic, director of Video Center for Governance, and I have the pleasure of sitting down today with Nora Denzel to discuss why and how boards are turning their focus to the S in the face of increasing shareholder demands for transparency around environmental, social, and governance activities that are defining the companies they serve. Nora is a Silicon Valley tech executive, and prior to full-time board work, she served as an interim CEO of Redbox Outerwall and held several other C-suite positions in tech companies encompassing big data, consulting, enterprise software, and storage businesses. So as a board member, her functional expertise is applying technology to transform companies, achieving innovation at scale, and turning technical concepts into narratives and strategies that everyone can understand. Nora has served on seven public company boards and is currently an independent board director of AMD, Ericsson, Norton LifeLock, and Talent SA. She chairs the compensation committees of AMD and Talent and sits on both Ericsson's and AMD's innovation and technology committees. She's also an NACD board fellow and is named this year's NAC Directorship 100. She further serves on nonprofit boards of Anita B. Org, as well as the NACD chapter in California. And she's been on the Innovation Advisory Board for BBVA and currently on the Advisory Board for CC. So Nora, you've had quite uh, a run here and she's been a guest of ours on a number of governance panels and never disappoints us with her intellect and wit. So I'm so happy to have you here with me today as we frantically ramp up to the 2020 holiday season and I think welcome the end of a very crazy year. (laughs) Thanks Amy, thrilled to be here. So we're going to dive right in and knowing us, um, we may go off on a tangent here or there, but we'll we'll try to stick to uh, the discussion around uh, the S in ESG. So I've heard you talk in 2020 um, a lot about what you're looking forward to as 2021 being <laughs> the year where there are four more voices represented in the boardroom. Can you explain what that means?
2: Sure. You know, um, we've been working, I've been in boards since maybe 2007 or 2008 on public company boards. And we've really been working off this thing that you're all aware of called shareholder primacy. And that's been the biggest um, guideline that we've had. It was called the Milton Friedman doctrine, And and basically it came around in the seventies that said shareholders first above all, that is the social duty of a corporation. And I think we've done an okay job at, at being board members representing shareholder primacy. I don't think shareholder primacy goes away, but I do think there's four more voices added to that. So whether you physically or logically have those four more voices in the boardroom, they come out of the, I think of it as an update to Milton Friedman's essay, uh, the business Roundtables' uh, position paper on what is the purpose of a company, and that they say that in addition to shareholder primacy, you have to take into account additional stakeholders, and they include the four voices, as I call them, employers, employees, suppliers, communities in which companies operate, and customers. So the S in ESG, big Uber point number one, is some people think it's just about your, but it's really about the health and well-being of all the people that your company deals with, whether it's in the community, your supplier, supplier ecosystem, employees, uh, partners, and customers. So those are the four voices I think we have to have as
1: um, communicated
2: in the boardroom as we do shareholders.
1: Yeah, Now I think you're right on that point. And I think that's becoming a much more powerful, or I would say those are becoming much more powerful voices in how companies are starting to think about their organizations and how they're measuring performance and everything else. So I think many companies and their boards are well on their way in the ESG journey, but many others are just beginning. And we get a ton of questions every single day as, you know, I'm just struggling on where do I even begin with this? So in your mind, I mean, where should a board and a company start when it comes to the the S or the social aspects of ESG?
2: And I think I think you're right. We're in a I think the S especially is kind of in an early market phase, meaning that we've been talking about social investing and corporate social responsibility for a long time. I think that the environmental and the governance parts of it are easier to quantify, measure and talk about. S seems to be this amorphous um, area that can mean anything to many companies. And it really trips people up because there's so many standards bodies and so many position papers and so many Position. My advice at this point in this year is that we turn inward and we say we do a tops down and a bottoms up exercise relating to all the people that we we work with um, through our companies. So what I mean by that is from the bottoms up, there's a lot of great things companies are doing, whether that's the annual employee survey or a pulse survey or having mental health benefits or um, listening, having a open door program where you can complain about things, having Supplier awards for the best supplier, focusing on the health and safety of their employees, not only employees, but also their suppliers. So, first thing, what I would do is I would round up an issue of the universe of things that fall under S, and ISS can help you. Um, the World Economic Forum has a framework, SASB has a framework. You don't even need to really spend money. Your consultant probably has it, but here's a universe of the issues of S. And I would put in one bucket what are the things we're doing today that touches these? Okay. Then I would also do a tops-down exercise. ESG isn't about only the morality factor, and it's a really good thing for society to do. Investors have really said, especially the business roundtable, companies that focus on these issues for the long term, over the long term, tend to do better than companies that don't focus on these issues. And so I would pick out and tease apart the two or three, less than five things that are material to this company at this time. So, for example, um, I'm on a technology company board. It's critical. I mean, over 80% of our value is the IP and our people. We don't really have fancy machines or equipment or buildings. It's the IP and our employees. And we face a labor shortage. So our long-term health is related to how well-trained our employee base is and access to different areas in which we can get uh, employees that we haven't traditionally recruited from. So we have a vested interest that women and people in underrepresented groups um, enjoy the technical field so that we can then recruit them in the long term. So I would say, if I would summarize bottoms up, what are we doing? Tops down, what are all the parameters and which ones make most sense for us? Then do a matching. You're maybe doing everything already or maybe add or subtract a few. And then we can talk about our deeper Amy is now we've got to figure out how do we communicate that so we can, I'm going to say get credit, but it's not about really getting credit, but if if investors don't recognize you're doing that, uh, you might be l- locked out of a screen of stocks to be put in their fund.
1: Now, that makes a lot of sense, and I want to pick up on something you said in regard to materiality, and and that's a I think that's sometimes that's a loose term that you know it's probably it's defined in regulatory standards, but how, what does that really mean to a company? So you mentioned people, and I think that's one of the critical aspects where. That's really, to me, an intangible value system within a company. That how do you measure that? Obviously, you know, in a, in a company that runs on technology, you need the brain power behind the machinery, right? So that, that's your your IP, your intellectual property that you know is developing all of your coding and everything else that's making the the ship run, if you will. So how does that? How does a company determine what's truly impactful? How does that materiality get set? in order to, to select those items. So you're talking about gathering the, all of the points of where you're impacting the company, but what rises to the top in your mind? How do you do that? that no,
2: it, yeah, no, it makes sense is it varies by industry. So if, in a software company, as I mentioned, it's IP and people. So um, if I take ESG as a huge screen, you know, water, carbon emissions, et cetera, those are huge issues. And so you can plot them just like we do ERM, you know, how big is this? That's huge. And then what effect could our company have on it? So for the software company it would be in the lower left saying huge issue if we all just stop driving our cars to work, it wouldn't even put you know, it just it's not it's not critical for our long-term uh, sustainability as our company, but an oil company, a mining minerals, those companies, airlines, they could really put a dent in it. So materiality has to say something like How important is it to us? So in that case, environmental is very important to us intellectually, but for our long-term sustainability as a company, it's less important than the skills of our people and finding high-quality skills. So it's really um, a judgment call of how big is it. And then the other thing is how can we make a difference? So I'll give you an example. Illiteracy is an S issue. If the the employees in the countries in which we operate are illiterate, It'll be very difficult for us to attract, retain, recruit, train, train them. So it's huge. But while that's important, and we're not nobody's denying it, we don't believe we can help with that. Um, that's what you do is you have a kind of a two by two matrix, a sorting mechanism of impact and can we make a difference? And it's not only impact on society, but it's impact to us. So some of the societal issues, um, you know, if we're not a one good example is Coca-Cola. They're really um working with water, clean water supply, and it's very, very germane to their business. And so hopefully that gives you, you need some kind of framework. I will say there's several frameworks out there and it's called a materiality analysis. And so you, I think any framework will work as long as you have a consistent way to measure these. And it's really impact to you. And one other point I'll make is it starts from your company strategy. So you have to start it with the strategy and say, okay, how how will we compete? What's our advantage? What are we going to do? How are we you know, what's our business model? And then you work backwards and say, what is the organizational and the human capital strategy to support that, the operational strategy? And from that, the issues come out.
1: I like I like how you brought in strategy. And, And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, so when you're talking about strategy and then you're pulling in the board to oversee the strategy that the company's laid out how does the board be impactful i think you have some examples of how you've kind of shifted your focus or maybe realigned your board committees around these issues to make it a little bit more tangible and then, and capture those four other voices in the room if you will
2: yeah you know i think the board's role on this especially is really important I think boards have done a fantastic job of the voice of the shareholder. Every single process, pretty much every single, everything we do. So let's take compensation. When we um, put an executive compensation plan together, we'll always look at what's called the sharing ratio. And we look at how much of the value creation was shared with the investors and how much was shared with the management team. So we have a shareholder lens all the time. And what you point out is if indeed ESG is as important to us as it is, and to investors and to society as a whole, then it needs the same level of processes, rigor, inspection, and metrics that other corporate initiatives do. It's no different than something that's really important to your company that you measure now, earnings per share growth, um, whatever metrics that you're using to say, return on capital, return on invested capital, whatever you're using today, you have to have a similar set of metrics that are auditable and a similar set of processes. So, for example, once you take a look at the full ES&G universe and decide what's material to your company, you have a, a tie-out with management. Management could say, well, you know, property, plant, and equipment is not as germane as employee reskilling as we go to AI. So, whatever it is, the board and management need to tie out on what are those variables. And then the work needs to be divided between the committees and the full boards. And then the next step is how do we and who do we communicate it to? And so um, uh, as you put the work into the different committees, charters will change, um, dashboards will change, and then you have the work of how and
1: whom do we communicate it and when. And I think you had one example where not only did, you know, maybe the work of the committee change, but you actually changed the name of your committee.
2: Is that right? (laughs) Did I get that right? it's true. It's true. I think this started as ESG was moving around, but it really was more in, spo- in response to the um, failures of the S and ESG. So, for example, um, not to pick, there was a large bank um, that had a, a significant problem with um, compensating their sales reps that were then incented to open uh, bogus accounts for their customers. You had a car company in Germany that was falsifying. Uh, emission standards test so that they can have access to to more markets. And those are cultural issues. If you have a robust culture and it's strong, those companies, it's highly correlated back with um, they operate in a sufficient manner and are less likely to have incidences such as that I explained. We looked at our board and we realized we understood the tone at the top because we had seen management every single board meeting. But we then realized what's the mood in the middle and the buzz at the bottom. Culture is a line that permeates through the entire organization, and you could be—I don't want to say misled—but the tone at the top could be completely different than the buzz at the bottom and the mood in the middle. So yeah, we changed our changed our our compensation committee to you know human capital and compensation committee. We changed our agendas, saying we will we will spend no more than 50% of our time on comp because that's the that's the fiduciary duty and, you know, it's a statutory committee. But the rest of the time we will spend on culture, uh, management, progression, the succession planning. But we wanted to see the leadership factory inside the company that produces three to five good CEO candidates, um, you know, in a number of years. And we turned our attention to diversity, inclusion and culture. And we changed it. And at the time, it was controversial. The CEO was saying, look, look, the other boards aren't doing this. I know we don't have any problems uh, is this, are you sure this is something we want to do? And, um, it has progressed through the years and it's been really, really very helpful to both the management team as well as the board.
1: No, that's excellent. And I, I, it's funny you just said succession planning, and I can't tell you, I've I've had an uptick of requests, inquiries from several different companies, all different industries looking at, you know, I just want to, what are best practices and. And because the, everyone is very focused on the human capital aspects of their company, and it's not just the CEO succession, it's looking at the board succession. It's looking at, as you mentioned, the levels of management down, that do we have the right people in an age where skill sets are changing and needs are changing? Or how do we remain competitive in the long term? So I think that's exactly right. Yeah, We've been talking a lot of examples. What are, when you start communicating this out to the public, what are the metrics that you're holding yourself accountable for? And I know this is kind of a loaded question because it's it's hard. It's hard to come up. I mean, it's you mentioned it's, it's much easier to have some very, you know, quantitative metrics around environmental things like emissions or other areas or, you know, showing the number of diverse board members. That's that's kind of an easy thing, depending on how you define diversity and self-identify, right? So, but what are the metrics that you guys are oscillating around on the social side? And is it more qualitative, I guess?
2: Yeah, you how know, you know um, oh, I hear an echo. Do you? Oh, went away. Um, yeah, metrics are important. I, I just would preface it by this. I get a lot of pushback sometimes on, uh, first of all, on S, don't just jump to quota. Well, we don't want a quota. Everyone just goes nuts on the quota. So we talked about, let's just do the process first. What are the things that are important? How would we measure those things? What committees should have oversight of those things? What are we already doing? So I think you don't you don't just jump to metrics, but I will say this that many companies have a robust CSR plan. but the CSR lacked accountability. So everyone stands up, I mean, who's not going to stand up and say, "I'm for my talented employees, I'm for my communities?" but we never really wanted to measure it. So I think that ESG puts the accountability into our commitments to that. So the accountability usually comes in the form of metrics, but they are trickier, as you mentioned, you know, than financial metrics. So first of all, I think of it as like ponds rippling through or stone when you put it in the pond. The first circle was, what are the metrics the board wants to see? And we didn't really have a discussion of, should we share those with the employees? Should we share those with Our ecosystem, should we share those to the investors? And if we share those to the investors, do we put them in the proxy? So there's kind of a continuum. But we first said, and we'd read all the literature and had people come in, and we were worried about uh, about the potential of having a me too situation. And the best research out of Harvard said that there's a certain ratio between men and women in the the middle management that it's it's not correlated, that there's a correlation that you won't, the potential to have a huge me too situation is much lower as the diversity goes up as you move down. And that was the latest. So we just went with that broad, um, broad example and said, okay, let's inspect diversity and inclusion and equity. And let's look and see where gender diversity is throughout the organization. And we found some things. First, it takes a while to round up the data. Then we got the data and saw that women get hired, but they don't advance. And so then we looked at the management succession program and talked about what are they? Why don't they advance? We did exit interviews of those that left. And so by quarter, the plans got much more robust. Um, so that's one example. We looked at the uh, employee survey in many, many different ways. Typically, your employee survey is a one and done meeting, five or six summary slides at the highest level. You know, I'm mean, a company has 100,000 employees. So we'll see the very highest cut, everything on average is wonderful. But when the board We get get a hold of now all the writing comments and we're able to search them and search for different words. We can cut it by location, by gender, by by almost anything you want to do. And then you can see what the hotspots are. We also started reading the um, speak up or the hotline that usually comes into audit. But anything that is human resources related would now come into this human capital and resource committee. So your point was really more in metrics. So the first set of metrics is what should the board see? And it really should be a function of what just came out of your materiality analysis. And the board should have processes and procedures around that, just like we have processes and procedures around shareholder metrics. Then your next question is, what do we share with employees? Because we might get social issues if we share with employees that um, a certain underrepresented group, we can't keep them in the company or they won't join or they're, they're making a fuss on Twitter or something like that. And so we decided to put some things on the web to help with recruitment on what we do with employees, but the numbers are unauditable. They're not assured. We don't lie or anything. We we have a process around it, but they're not audited by a third-party accounting firm. And it's this year we've now taken a survey of all the ESG metrics that are in executive compensation schemes, and that's the point we're at. We feel strong enough that we can um, put some tied to compensation and um, put those in our publicly filed documents
1: now that makes a lot of sense and i mean just kind of picking up again on on what you said that you know it's hard to kind of quantify the numbers it's hard to assure those numbers is there like i guess a change in some of the processes or the controls over that data that you guys are looking at and i know you're a data person so <laughs> figure that's a figure that's a, a good question to ask you but when you're trying to gather new information in areas where maybe you hadn't explored before like the I love all the examples you gave about digging deeper into the pulse survey about mm-hmm. expanding your you know the looking at the I guess the the root cause or the root problems that exist when you when you notice numbers aren't where you thought they might be or should be so how is that data collection going what what are companies or what are your companies doing specifically to make sure that that data is reflecting reality and that you can rely on that data? And then how do you, again, I guess, communicate that outwardly if you're going to share that information?
2: Yeah, you know, um, at first, at first, like with any data endeavor, believe me, it was spotty. For example, our first big data haul was to see, uh, it was an ISS requirement, I guess, was the median employee salary and then how much the, the CEO salary differed. That was a big putt for some companies, a big process because we had disparate systems around the globe and employees were, you know, we'd grown by acquisition and, you know, data, data, the big dirty secret that's very not very well kept is data is uh, a beast to try, try to manage. So now we have a data lake and we have all the HR data in there and all the employee data in there and we're able to do structured and unstructured qu- queries on it. So your data has to go on a journey as well. Um, so that's one thing um when you start on this i would say in relation to the data and the output we first started with activity based data so like i said we had trouble with underrepresented groups so rather than just start with a quota because we we just didn't know what it should be is we started with activities how many non traditional colleges and universities can we recruit from in a year and so it was just an activity it had no outcome it was just can we get ourselves to one of these colleges put a good talk together, and harvest a few candidates. Then it was, well, how many accept the offer? How happy were they on their total employee experience? How happy were they in their uh, opinion survey? So we were able to kind of trap a cohort group. So the data will go from activity based to outcome based as you and your company settle it in. Then we brought in the audit committee and basically said, okay, here, here's this. You're used to you know, certifying a short-term bonus plan If the if the Free cash flow is X and the revenue is Y. We're going to pay out so much money and will you certify that? So as we look into metrics into the uh, executives, we will have an assurance certification through the audit committee as well. And I think it's a process of documenting the process, you know, some kind of SOX level assurance of the system that it is the true, uh, you know, single source of truth and then a documentation that, that we've certified it. If we've made a mistake, just like with financials, we'd come back and say, Oops, due to an accounting error, we made a mistake and we would fix it. So I'm happy to share it. We did a whole tour of companies. What are they putting? There's about, you know, half of the Fortune 100 have ESG related, might not be S, but ESG related metrics in their compensation plans today.
1: Yeah, and I think that number is going to continue to rise, certainly. Um I guess maybe one last question because I'm sensitive to your time today, but what do you see, I guess, is the future of, of S? I know that's kind of a, yes. a big, broad yeah. statement, but what do you, I guess, what is, what are you seeing as, as beneficial to the voices in the room, to the board, to company management? Where should companies be focusing on?
2: I think S has a big future. I think it was a neglected. Part of the trio of ESG for lots of reasons. I think COVID raised the stakes, and our shareholder and stakeholder group and their expectation is really, really rising. And I think you can get significant reputational damage. Even how people, how companies handled the COVID crisis, had reputational damage. Um, you know, if they took public money and then they furloughed their employees, that wasn't a really good look for um, many companies. Or how they forced some employees to work, et cetera. So I think S becomes much more important because of the incidences over the summer and the social justice marches around the world. So what I see for S is more and more calls from shareholders, from large pension funds to really incorporate and inculcate and stop talking about it and start measuring it. How we measure it is up to us in the beginning. And I think long term, there'll be some standard ways but I know that there's a lot of startups doing a lot of artificial intelligence around S to give you the correlations that some of us, as you talked about in the beginning, it seems more of a softer variable. So it's like, okay, if I take my opinion survey up two points, how does that translate into EPS? I think with artificial intelligence, we're going to find um, some of those answers and be more precise. But I think until we're precise, we can't use that as an excuse. We have to start putting it in there. One last point on the metrics. It isn't a huge part of an executive's compensation today. It's normally a modifier and it's like less than 10% of the on-target earnings, but it is in there. And some are directional, like in very vague, and others are quite specific. So I do think it's going to be a year of seeing a lot more S in executive compensation.
1: And I guess along with that, as we're kind of getting into, you know, starting to approach proxy season. Do you anticipate that the ISS and glass is of the world and probably we can expect that large institutional um, investors are going to be issuing their, you know, dear CEO letters at your end to kind of formulate what expectations are being set? So what are your what's your crystal ball look like there?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I believe that's true. I think we'll see more, not less. The. I think what is important for companies, we can't hide behind the inconsistency of the ask. The overall ask is S. And then as you get to Sustainalytics or the World Economic Forum or Larry Fink, et cetera, you get different variations. And S is quite huge. So I would just say start small and tell your story. One last thing is I think the best companies have a single story. And it goes back to we have a strategy. These are the critical success factors. And this is how we take care and manage, monitor and measure our critical success factors. Some just happen to be employees. Some just happen to be the communities in which we work. But here is our strategy. These are the critical success factors. You know, some are financial, some are not. And then this is how we manage them. Where I see companies, they'll have a separate CSR report, and I'll see a presentation of here's our story. This is what we build. This is how we're competitive. And almost like a commercial in the middle of a TV show, they'll say, oh, and this is what we do for ESG. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled program. I think <laughs> what we're starting to see is it's definitely in Europe is no more sustainability report. It is the annual report. There is one story. This is how we recruit employees. This is how we talk to our suppliers. This is how we talk to our investors. There's a single story, and this is woven in the fabric. It isn't of, well, yeah, and we also have employee resource groups. You know, it's like wait okay, how there's not two stories. There's okay. one story, and I think we're going to see those converge in the long term. Right now, it's kind of unconsciously uh, competent in it. And I think we'll be, I think we'll, or I mean, we're consciously competent in it. We do a special set of things around it. I think it just merges into one single story. that That's the future long term. And that's, we'll never be there, but we'll be closer when that happens.
1: I agree. I, I think that the route to integrated reporting is definitely being well laid in, in terms of what's happening with merging of standard setters, et cetera. But I, I like your point about S, and maybe maybe the S is for simplicity. Maybe it's just trying to simplify what you're what you're trying to accomplish, and it's all goes yeah. to the same goal, right? Long-term right. sustainability. So, Nora, it's been awesome yeah. speaking with you today. Really appreciate it. Hope you'll consider coming back and and sharing with other topics. But wishing you and your family a wonderful holiday season. And thank you again. Thank you. You're welcome, Amy. Great to see you. Thank you for
0: listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com/BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit BDO.com/BDO Knows Governance.